Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram. After what things? Well, in Genesis 12, the God of heaven reveals himself to the son of an idol maker. There was a man named Terah, and he was famous in his country for his idol worship and his paganistic and heathenistic uh, behavior. And because he was so prominent in pagan worship, he became known and famous in the country for being the most proficient idol maker that there was. And God himself comes down to an idol maker's son, Abram, and reveals himself to him, proving that the grace that saves is never deserved. I don't know why people get beside themselves and lose their minds and walk with God long enough to think that they deserve the grace that saved them. I don't know how people can be a Christian for a few years and then get so judgmental of other people as if you deserved the grace that saved you. The grace that saved is always undeserved. So I'm going to help all the judgmental, self-righteous people out for a minute. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I didn't deserve it, but he saved me anyway. Now, some of y'all got stuck with that. Look at somebody else say, I didn't deserve it. In fact, let's get real. I still don't deserve it. <laughs> Sitting here this morning, I don't deserve it, but he saved me anyway. God shows up to an idol maker's son, and he said, I want you to get out of your country and away from your kindred and out of your father's house to a land that I will show you. God was saying, I want to bless you, and I want to do something in your life, but I can't do it uh, while you are surrounded by all of these toxic relationships because toxic relationships will limit the blessing of God in your life. And it was true for Abraham, and it's true for you. You can be as blessed as God can bless you, but if you hold on to toxic relationships and you stay living in toxic environments, toxic relationships and environments will limit the blessing of the Lord on your life. So to walk with God in truth and to walk with God in force and in power will cost you cutting off a few relationships along the way. Everybody that's stuck to you is not necessarily for you. And sometimes when God's going to do something great in your life, he will begin to pull you away from certain people. Sometimes they will have your last name, have grown up in the house with you. Sometimes they, they will share certain genetic traits with you. But when God is going to do something with you, he will pull you away from people that will keep pulling you down as he tries to level you you up and so and so the relationship with God starts like this I want to bless you I want to do something in your life but first I'm going to need you to to get out of your country away from all your kin folks that's a word for somebody right there. Kinfolks is crazy. Get out of your country, away from your kinfolks, out of your father's house, uh, to a land, to a place that I will show you. I ain't going to tell you where it is right now, but I will after you leave at some point. 
So Abraham's walk with God starts in, in crisis. It starts in a major disruption. And divine disruptions still take place today. Walking with God for real isn't always about just peace and tranquility. If God's really going to do something with you, he'll disrupt your life. I know we don't like to talk about it, but if you ever really walked with God, you followed him through a season where he disrupted your life. It wasn't the devil. It wasn't people. It was God himself disrupting your life. And so Abraham takes on the stress of moving. Now, has anybody moved recently, the last year, year and a half, something like that? Okay. Moving is a crisis. Even if you're moving to a nicer place, there is something so unsettling about packing all your stuff up, okay? And you don't get settled and you don't feel peace until you get to the place that you're going and you unpack everything and you're able to start your routine again. Yeah. Problem with Abraham, he wasn't moving down the street. He was moving out of the country. Yeah. Not only is he moving out of the country, you know, without a U-Haul moving truck, you know. Oh Not only is he moving out of the country, but he's moving and doesn't exactly know a state of crisis. That's Genesis 12. God shows up to an idol maker's son. He blesses him, tells him to leave his family. That's a crisis. Tells him to move. That's a crisis. And doesn't tell him exactly where he's going. That's a crisis. Then Genesis 14, Abraham's nephew Lot, which was more like a son to him than a nephew, because at this point, Abraham doesn't have children. And so Lot had kind of become his adopted son. All right. Well, Lot gets kidnapped and all of his possessions get stolen. All of, you know, Lot's little family and his people get taken captive. And so now Abraham, he still ain't unpacked yet. But he's pulled into a war that is not his own. Have you ever been pulled into somebody else's war? When you got to go to war for you, it's one thing. You can justify and understand why you're doing it. But when you get pulled into somebody else's war because somebody else was crazy, but you got to fight it because you love them and you're there for them. But it can make you just pace the floor in the middle of the night when you find yourself fighting somebody else's war. And so in Genesis 15, 1, where it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. It was talking about after these things, after the crisis of living in limbo and not being settled, after the crisis of having to leave his family and cut off those toxic connections, and after the crisis of having to fight somebody else's war, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. For every crisis you will go through, God has a word that is scheduled to come. 
If you haven't heard it yet, keep your ears open. There may be some these things that you have to go through before you get it, but God will always send you a word that will produce the pathway forward for your life. And so after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham and said, Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Now, God is about to establish a covenant with Abraham, but the prerequisite to the covenant is fear not. Fear not? Why not? There's plenty of things to fear. But he says fear not because God knows this has got to be the basis of our relationship. You fearing not and trusting me because my relationship with you is going to put you in some frightening situations. Look at the frightening situations a relationship with God put Abraham in. He had to leave his country and his father's house, all of his relatives. He had to trust God to give him a child in his old age. And can you imagine, can you imagine the disappointment you know, when they got that word that God was going to give them a child in their old age, I'm sure at first, first few years, you know, they were standing on that word. You know, got to stand on that word. God's going to give us a child. And, and then every month there was disappointment when the cycle of barrenness continued. And so they kept trying and kept trying. I'm, I'm sure Sarah got sick of trying. I'm sure Abraham was, come on in here tonight, baby. We got to stand on the word. We got to try this. Standing. Standing, standing on the promises of, <clears throat> anyways, so, and you know, when you, when you've been trying to work a word for a long time and it's not working, it can get scary. After the frustration, the scary starts. Because the, the thought is, did I hear this right? Is this really going to happen for me? And then God would ultimately, once the miracle child came, God would ultimately ask him to sacrifice his own son, or at least be willing to. We know that God didn't go through with that, but he wanted Abraham for a while to think he was and to be willing to do it. That's scary. You know, I, I told God many times, you can't trust me with that one. <laughs> Abraham, I give you all the, the props and everything because you're awesome that you could be trusted with that challenge. God, don't, don't test me with that. Okay. But all of his life, trusting God put him in these difficult situations. And yet, in every circumstance, Abraham mastered the challenge. He mastered the circumstance. He mastered the difficulty. And the question is, how? He refused to fear, and he maintained a fierce trust in God. Now, in Macbeth, Shakespeare writes a dark and unsettling truth, and I quote, each new morning, new widows howl, new orphans cry, new sorrows strike heaven on the face. That's life, isn't it? Each new morning, there's a new widow. Each new morning, there's new orphans somewhere in the earth. And each new morning, each new day has the possibility of bringing a new sorrow 
that you've never had to deal with before in your life. And the thing is, it's a guarantee. Life is going to bring these things to all of us. Life is going to bring these sorrows to all of us. We can't opt out of it. The only thing we can do is choose how we will respond to it. And what makes Abraham so special is in spite of every hurtful, sorrowful, painful, difficult circumstance that he went through, he mastered them all. He rose above all of it. How? Because of how deeply he trusted God. And the question is, how was Abraham this confident in his faith? What was the event? What was the moment that took him from a place of acknowledging God and, and acknowledging the, the word of God and the activity of God in his life and, and transition all the way to being totally immovable no matter what he faced. What was the, what was the thing that, that caused that? And the answer is in our text. In verse 2, Abraham said, Lord, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? Verse 3, uh, you've given me no offspring. Uh, no one born in my house is our, I don't, it, there's a servant in my house that I'm going to have to make my heir. I'm going to have to adopt him as my heir. And then the word of the Lord comes in verse four and God's saying, I'm going to give you a child from your own body. Verse five, he said, count the stars. So shall your descendants be. Verse six says, Abraham believed. And then verse seven, God says, I'm going to give you this land. The reason I brought you out of your country is I want to give you this land. And after all of those promises, Abraham says in verse eight, how shall I know? Now, I want to submit to you that at this point, his faith wasn't totally settled yet. As he said, you know, sounds phenomenal, but how shall I know? God's promised to make me a nation, make me righteous, give me a child, give me all this land. But how shall I know? And, and in response to how shall I know, God said, go get me a heifer and go get me a goat and uh, and and and. What? You know, how shall I know? Go get me a heifer and a goat and some some pigeons and turtle doves. And it sounds so weird to us. It even reads weird. But the reason is because of our culture, our society today in 2022, our practices. But in Abraham's day, these instructions would have been very familiar. This was how people in antiquity used to set up a contract or an agreement. For instance, in our day today, uh, when people get married, they take vows to each other and uh, they have, you know, wonderful ceremonies and, and all kind of fluff. I've, I've seen some good ones. I've seen some bad ones. But, but, but no, matter, no matter how opulent the ceremony and no matter how swelling the words of the preacher who preaches and officiates the wedding, none of it matters really until the end where you sign the marriage certificate, the marriage license. What makes it legal is the contract. Make all the promises you want, you know, it doesn't matter until it's legal. Now, the legal document ensures 
that if you break your promise, you lose half your stuff. <laughs> so if someone says, Lawrence, I, I'm so in love with you. Whatever you want me to do, it's all right with me. Cause you. Oh, it's Valentine's. Go ahead and say it. You can sing it one time. Everybody say let. All right. So, felt the glory on that. Lord. So, listen. They can say, I love you. You the one. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I want to go to work and provide and help build a life together and build a home. I want to have babies with you, and I hope they look just like you because you're so fine. And you're everything to me. I want to take care of you. You know, all that's great. But if you were to step back and say, How shall I know? The highest form in our society to prove what you've promised is that marriage contract. Because the contract will guarantee that you fulfill what was promised or everything you got gets cut in half. Everybody say cut in half. Now, it, 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 that's what the marriage license does. But in the Bible, they didn't make major life decisions. They didn't make like two companies wouldn't merge or, or two, two people wouldn't get married or, you know, a, a farmer wouldn't make an agreement like with a warlord, you know, I'll feed your army if you'll protect my farm. They wouldn't do things like that and sign a piece of paper. That was too flimsy, too too, you know, too weak for them. Abraham didn't live in a written culture like we do today. Rather, he lived in an audible, storytelling, expressive culture. And the way they made contracts was much more intense. They would speak their promises out loud, and then they would act out the benefits and the curse of the contract. If you do what you say, there's going to be these benefits, and they would act it out and speak it out. If you don't do what you say, and then they would act out what would happen if they failed their promise. That's what that Jeremiah reference was talking about. God referenced walking between the pieces of an animal, making a covenant, and he said, you, you broke the covenant. I just brought that up to show you in the scripture. This was a very common thing. In those days... You didn't sign an oath with ink. You would sign an oath in blood. You would take animals and cut them down the middle in pieces. And you would make a walkway 
walking down the aisle. You know where that came from? We still do it today, but you know where it came from? It came from this concept. There would be animals that had been cut in half and their blood would flow and form a blood aisle. And the people that were making covenants would stand at the start of the blood aisle and list everything that they promised to do while walking through the blood. And what they were saying was this. If I fail to keep my promise, if I fail to do what I'm saying that I will do, then may my body be cut like these animals. May I be ripped apart. May my blood be spilled. And, and may I be just like these on either side of me if I fail to perform what I've promised. So back to Genesis 15, God makes all these promises to Abraham. Abraham says, how shall I know? God said, set up a covenant, set up a contract. Abraham knew exactly what to do. And then verse 17 says that a smoking oven and a burning torch passed through that, that aisle of blood. Now, smoking oven, burning torch, these are the same two words that we have in Hebrew. Do you remember in the wilderness when the pillar of smoke was going before them by day and a burning pillar of fire by night? Okay, same words. So these are natural manifestations of a supernatural God. God himself is manifesting in the earth as in the form of a burning oven and a blazing torch. And God walked through the pieces himself. He walked down the aisle in the blood of the animals and he made a covenant to legitimize his promise. Now, there's always two problems with trusting God. Always two problems with trusting God. Number one is Abraham's problem. Abraham's problem. He, he said, um, Lord, how do I know you'll do what you promised? That's always the problem with trusting God. God, how do I know you'll do what you say you're going to do? And we may not talk about it and shout amen on that point. But you've had some times in your life where you've run up against a circumstance and you've got a promise of God from the word. You've got a promise from God that you received through a prophecy. You've got a promise of God hanging over your head. And in, in those moments of trial and difficulty, you wonder to yourself, God, how do I know you'll keep your part of what you promised me? And to answer that for Abraham, God walked through the pieces. He made a contract. He made a covenant. He said, if I fail to do what I promise, may my strength turn into weakness. May my honor turn into shame. May my body be torn apart and ripped into pieces like these animals. I promise you I'm going to do this. May I die and be torn apart and my blood be spilled if I don't. And that leads to problem number two with trusting God. God, <clears throat> what happens then if you keep your part but I don't keep mine. Because, you know, covenants go both ways. So it's dangerous to be in this serious of a covenant with this powerful of a being 
what if you do everything you say you're gonna do, but, but I come up short? Your covenant said that you will be my God and that I will be your people. What, what if you don't fail being my God, but what if, what if I fail being your people? What if you get tired of being in a contract relationship with somebody so weak and frail and inconsistent? But the beautiful part of the text is Abraham sets up this covenant, he cuts the animals in two, he builds the walkway of blood, and then the Bible says when it comes time for both Abraham and God to walk through the blood, that God puts Abraham in a deep sleep. Like Abraham didn't fall asleep, God put him in a deep sleep. And the Bible says that God walked through the pieces alone. He did not say, okay, I walked through Abraham, now it's your turn. God walked through the pieces by himself. And this is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because salvation has not ever been and is not now a cooperative effort. Salvation belongs to God and to God alone. It is not God helps those who help themselves. It is not a partnership. Salvation is something God did all by himself. And so you understand when God walked through those pieces alone, he was announcing to Abraham, I will take on the curse of breaking this covenant for both me and you. If I don't do my part, Abraham, may my blood be spilt. May my body be torn apart. May I be as dead as these animals on either side. But even if you don't do your part, may my body be torn apart. May my blood be spilled and may I be as dead as the animals on either side. Abraham, I will bless you and be your God even if it causes me to have to take a curse on myself. I will bless you and be there for you even if it costs me my very life. So you go to sleep. I'll walk through the covenant blood for us both. And you know the story. Abraham and his descendants failed to live up to the righteousness of God's requirement. Abraham and his descendants, which would be the children of Israel, failed miserably to keep their part of the covenant. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because Abraham and his descendants failed to do what they promised God that they would do, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to prove that he was a man of his word, the ancient of days, the word in the beginning, the seed of Abraham, the root of Jesse, the day star redeemer, the lily of the valley, the great I am, the Lord of all creation, wrapped himself up in flesh. He was born of a virgin. He ministered in Palestine for three and a half years. Jesus Christ was 
betrayed and he was arrested and he was beaten in the judgment hall and then he was taken to the whipping post where they literally begin to tear his body apart. They begin to split him open and his blood begin to flow like the blood of those animals that Abraham had set up centuries earlier. And then they put his own cross on his bleeding back and made him walk up Golgotha's hill while he was bleeding. So in the Old Testament, you have a smoking oven and a burning torch walking in the blood of a covenant. And in the New Testament, you have Jesus Christ, God manifested in the flesh, once again walking in a blood path, carrying his own cross just to cement, just to establish, just to keep the promise God had made all those years before. I won't fail you or I'll die like an animal. But even if you fail me, I'll still die like an animal. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God has planted eternity or an awareness of another world outside of this one in the minds and hearts of every created being. That creation itself, Paul said in Romans, declares the glory of God. Paul told the Romans that they were without excuse for not being Christians and not being saved. He said, even though you didn't have a preacher, you should have walked outside and seen the glory of the sun and recognized a human didn't make it and it didn't come up by itself. You should have started seeking God when you looked at the ocean and you looked at the moon. You should have started seeking God when you saw the waterfalls and the mountains. You should have known. And... God has planted eternity in our hearts. Creation declares his glory. And then many of us in the West are blessed enough to have heard the truths of the gospel and heard the truths of the commandments of the Lord. And knowing what we know and being instructed how we've been instructed, we still fail to live in obedience and according to the standard that he expects. And because of our rebellion and because of our disobedience, we deserve to be cut off. We deserve to be cut in half. We deserve the recompense and the judgment to fall on us from a pure and holy God who incidentally made us. We did not make ourselves. He created us. He owns us. And living to his standards and obeying him is not too much for him to ask. And yet, we didn't. We woke up every day and soaked up his sunshine. That ain't your sun in the sky. That's God's. We soaked up his oxygen. That ain't your air. That's God's air. We soaked up his blessing. We soaked up his health of the bodies that he created. In fact, we used our body that he made to go and dishonor him by doing deeds that he commanded us not to do. Just sit there. I'm still preaching. It's going to get a little bit better in a minute. But, but we've, we've sinned and failed 
We've missed the mark of our intended purpose. We have violated the reason for our very creation, and we deserve judgment. And yet, when judgment time came, God put him to sleep. I'm not going to let you walk through this. I'm not going to make you swear to be loyal to me because I know you won't be able to do it. But I'll swear to be loyal to you. And even when you fail me, I will take on myself the punishment that you deserve for failing me. That's the kind of God we serve. A God whose love is incomprehensible. A God whose grace makes no sense. A God who is merciful to the unrighteous. A God that looks at sinners and people full of iniquity and said, I still love you I still want to be your God and if you want to know how much I love you and if your question is how do I know I'll do what I said look at the cross because every time you look at the cross that is the proof that God will justify the unrighteous that God will forgive the sinner and not only will he save you and forgive you that God will bless you that God will raise you up that God will break generational curses off of you that God will heal your body when the doctor say we don't know if there's anything we can do to help you that all of that was do, do, do you do you see it all of that was in the blood bath and and in Galatians chapter 3 he writes Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Please understand this. If you miss this, you've missed so much of the beauty of the theology of your Bible and of your faith. Through Jesus Christ, God extends to non-Jewish people, you and me, unless you're a full-blooded Jew. Do we have any in the house? Any full-blooded Jews in the house? Seriously? Okay, see why we need this. God extends to you and I, Gentiles, the same covenant promise that he gave to Abraham he extends it to us when we have faith in Jesus Christ. What's in that covenant promise? What is it? He said, in blessing, I will bless you. Your God, I don't care how many YouTube mean, hateful people get up and criticize preachers saying that God wants to bless. God does want to bless you. It's in the Abrahamic covenant. God wants to bless you. He wants to elevate your station in life. Okay. He said, I want to bless you. Number two, he said, I want to remove the lack of productivity or barrenness from your life. God wants you to be fruitful. God wants you to put something in the earth that wasn't here when you got here. Okay. Whether that be children in the natural sense or, or whether it be businesses or whether it be books or, or whether it be something you build or God wants you to put something in the earth that wasn't here when you got here. And there's many of you that have this instinct. It doesn't even make any sense because nobody around you has ever done it. No one modeled it for you in your family. But you have this instinct to build something. 
God gave you that. You have this instinct to write something. God gave you that. You have this instinct to produce something. God gave you that. And in case nobody's told you, there is greatness in each and every one of you because God put it there. It's part of the covenant. He didn't just say, Abraham, I want to save you. He said, I want to bless you. He said, I want you to be productive. I'm going to give you a child in your old age. That's another thing. God wants you to keep producing even in your old age. Our society tells old people to slow it down and to take it easy and to retire and to quit everything. Not God. God said, I want you to be productive in your old age. Then he says, this is all in the covenant. He says, I want to make your name great. In other words, I want to fix your reputation. I don't want you to be known as the idol maker's son. How many of us know what it's like to come from a family and we're linked to the family's reputation, but that's not who we are? Uh, I don't have nobody in here to get with me. Anybody have a crazy sister? And, and when people look at you, they think you're crazy because your sister's crazy. Anybody got a crazy uncle? Anybody got a crazy mama? Anybody got a crazy daddy? And people look at you and they associate you with the crazy of your family. God said, Abraham, I want to fix that. I don't want you to be known as the idol maker's son. I want you to be known by my promise. I want to bless you so big you outgrow what people have labeled you in the past. I want to do so many things in your life that people cannot deny that the hand of the Lord, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost, that the hand of the Lord is on that man. I'm going to make your name great. What's, what's another part of the covenant? I want to change your name. No longer shall you be called Abram, but Abraham. In other words, I want to put an identity on you that you haven't met yet. This is what's so amazing to me about God. Is you can be a drug addict for 30 years. And everybody in your life know you as a crackhead. But you can encounter the deliverance from God. And not only can God take you out of that, but he can give you a new identity you never met before. All that time you was doing drugs. All that time you was living crazy. All that time you were conning people and robbing people. Maybe you wouldn't have been doing it if you would have known a new identity was coming, a new person was coming, new opportunities were coming. And God said, I don't want to just, I don't want to just save you and I don't want to just deliver you. I, I want to, I want to introduce you to the you you haven't met yet. In other words, there's another you inside you. Listen to me. Those of you contemplating suicide because I feel it in my spirit. Listen to me. Don't kill you. You haven't got the chance to meet the other you yet. Don't kill you before the other you shows up. Another you is a promise of the covenant. It's even a promise of the New Testament. Paul writes over and over again about the old man and the new man. Along with salvation, there's a promised new identity. It may not come instantly, but it will come. 
Abraham was 90 years old. He was in his 90s before God gave him that, that other version of himself. Okay. And so, if you don't like yourself, ask God to give you the new version. What else? What else is in the covenant? I'm going to cause your barren wife, Sarah, to birth a child in your old, in other words, supernatural things, miracles, things that make no natural sense. Listen, that is not a promise for just some believers. All you know about my story with my son, Levi, but that's not just a promise for Jason supernatural happenings, miracles. That's a promise for you. If you are in Christ, Galatians 3, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's descendant. You are Abraham's descendant by faith and heirs to the covenants of promise. The covenants of promise. These things God said, I guarantee I'm going to do for you. And I guarantee I'm not going to leave you, even if it costs me my life. And it did. On Calvary's cross, Jesus bled and died because we couldn't get it right. And three days later, he rose to life with all power. He rose to life, Paul says, for our justification. That, that he died for the forgiveness of our sins. But then he rose to life to justify us. You know what justify means? It means to be declared righteous. In other words, he rose again so that he can look at unrighteous people that have faith in him and say, even though you're unrighteous, I declare you righteous because of my resurrection. That's the power of what the resurrection did. It gave God the legal right to take all of your sins and your failure and ascribe it to his body that bled on that tree and then take his righteousness that you don't deserve and you could never perform and put it on you because you have faith in him. And that, ladies and gentlemen, from the top to the bottom is the Abrahamic covenant that you still have access to today because Jesus Christ hung on the tree. Would you stand, lift up your hands, and give him worship in the house this morning? Now, I cannot... I cannot minister this this way without the awareness that there's somebody here that may have never heard the gospel presented that way. And maybe you've never had the depth of faith in Jesus Christ that you feel right now. Salvation the cleansing of your sins and the acceptance into the family of God is so profoundly easy 
Paul writes in Romans 10 that when the gospel is preached, the, the preacher has to be sent to the people. I believe with all my heart that God sent me with this sent word to you today. And he said, he said, when they hear that faith will come by hearing the word preached that was sent to them. And I, I feel it. I know it in my heart that there's people in this room this morning that received a fresh faith in the gospel of Jesus, the good news about what Jesus did when you heard it this morning. And then he said, once you've got the gospel preached and once you've got someone who heard it that, that believes, their heart is burning with faith, they believe. He said, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. When the mouth confesses that the heart believes unto salvation and with the mouth, confession is made. So all you have to have is inward belief that Jesus is who the gospel says he is, that Jesus died and rose again. All you have to do is have faith in that and then confess that inward faith outwardly with your mouth. Jesus said to his disciples, if you confess me openly in public before people, I'll confirm you openly before my father. He says, if you're ashamed of me in front of people, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my father. With every head bowed, every eye closed. You're in this room and you know you are a sinner. You have failed. Not only God's standard, you've failed and disappointed your own standards for yourself. You, you feel a sense of dread. You know something is coming. And you want to be right with God. And you want to accept what God has so freely offered in the gospel. If you're here and you've backslidden, you've drifted from God, and your relationship with God feels fractured and broken, or if you're in this room and you're hearing about God for the first time, if something in your heart is burning to connect with God, if you have faith in the gospel that was preached, and you know you need salvation, it is so very simple. If I'm talking to you, would you just slip up a hand all over the house? Would you just slip up a hand if I'm talking to you, if I'm talking to you? Okay, let's make it public. Come down to the altar. Don't be ashamed of it. There's no shame in it. This is our glory. This is our opportunity. This is our beauty. This is our salvation. This is our strength. Come on, give God praise. Come, come. If you need to come, come. If you need to come, come. Come on, people, give God praise. Give God praise. Give God praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Listen to me. Listen to me. It's so simple it makes almost no sense. It's so simple because it's so supernatural. Something happening in your heart, something happening on the inside of you where you believe what the gospel says about Jesus and you receive what he did for you on the cross and then you simply in public make a profession of faith. You make a declaration of faith 
and you confess with your mouth what you have believed in your heart. Now the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Lord is moving so beautifully in this house right now. It's just moving so beautifully in this house right now. All over the place, would you just lift up your hands just a moment? Just a moment. Spirit, move on your people. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. If you're in this altar, let's make this simple but powerful declaration together. Everyone say, Lord Jesus, I believe in my heart what the gospel 
says about you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I receive that forgiveness. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Father, I believe that you rose again. That death had no power over you. And I believe that you're coming back again. I ask you to come into my heart to cleanse me and to fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name. Look at me. If you prayed that prayer, you just got saved. According to the scripture, according to the gospel. And if you're doing it for the first time or you're doing it for real for the first time, you need to understand being born again is what they call this in the New Testament. And it is very much like that. When you, when you get saved, you are, are really a baby in many forms. You need feeding. You need nutrition. You need guidance. You need growth. That's what the church is in the earth for. And we want to do that for you. So stay connected. Like you, there have been targeted attacks against you all of your life to try to tear down your self-esteem, to try to tear down how you see yourself. There have been things that have come against you all of your life to make you question yourself. You've had to develop so many defense mechanisms just to make it through because the enemy of your soul is scared to death you'll ever find out what's really inside you. That God didn't make a mistake when he made you. God created you in a masterful way. You have gifts. There's brightness in your mind. There's abilities that people don't even know about. And in your future, if you follow God, if you follow God in your future, God will introduce you to a new you, a new you, a you that you've never met before. And I'm going to lay my hands on you and pray, Father, let your blessing come upon this man in the name of Jesus. Let your strength, oh God, oh God, let him see what you had in mind when you made him. Let him see the potential. Let him see the purpose. Thank you, Lord, for canceling negative words that people have spoken over him. Thank you for canceling out things that they have said. Thank you that every curse ever spoken over him is broken. And thank you that the blessing of the Lord comes to him today in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for my sister. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, I praise you that no mistakes of the past have the power to cancel what you've established in her future. Thank you, Lord, that there is no failure, that there is no mistake so great that we cannot achieve what you've purposed and called us into. Thank you, Lord, that when our mother and father forsake us, the Lord will lift us up. Thank you, Lord, that you will give guidance. You will give protection. You will give direction. Thank you, Lord, that there's no reason to fear in the nighttime hours. There's no reason to wake up sweating. There's no reason to wake up with nightmares because, Lord, you have established a plan, and that plan is good, and your word says you give your beloved sweet sleep in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
thank you, Lord. His love poured out for all 
this is our God. Sing it out if you know it. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. To the God who walked through the blood for us, we say, and I and I will fall at your feet. I will you hear.
Jesus. Glory be to Jesus. Glory be to Jesus. I pray the blessing of the Lord extended to us through Jesus Christ that the Abrahamic covenant and the benefits of it will begin to manifest in your life. I pray the Lord strengthen you. I pray the Lord through his Holy Spirit begin to teach you about your real identity and introduce you to the other you. I pray you begin to prosper in areas like you've never seen. And I pray the Lord be a defense and a hedge around about you. In Jesus' name, Spurs shirt. This is so strange. And I don't want to embarrass you. And I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't even think I have a voice left. But when I saw you, the, the song, and you may not know the song. It's an old song. When I saw you lift your hand, the song came. And it's not about the song. It's about the words in the song. But the weapons that have been formed against you will not prosper. The threat, the threat that has come against you, the problem you're worried about, God's taking the teeth out of it. He's taking the weapons away. The Lord surrounds you with favor like a shield. Oh, hallelujah. The Lord knows the way that you take. And the Lord reintroduces himself to you in a new way in this season. My brother, I speak the blessing of the Lord on you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. In the name of Jesus. That was so strange. I just saw him and I, I heard formed against me. No weapon shall prosper. Let's sing it together, won't we? It won't work, say no weapon formed. If you have an offering or a seed that you would like to sow and honor God with, you can bring it. No weapon formed against me hey, shall prosper. Hallelujah. It won't work. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Hey. Help me say God will do what he said.
strengthen you today, bless you today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Listen, if you can, if you can, I want you to, let's, let's be a family this Wednesday night. I want you to, to do your very best to get here the Wednesday night. It's going to be a special service. I want you to be here. I don't want you to miss it. I believe God's got something for you this Wednesday night. So if you can, put a reminder in your phone or put make some adjustments to your schedule. I know a lot of you work, but do what you can to get here Wednesday night. I believe it's going to be great. I love you so much. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day.